uh, I got this letter. Uh, <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, my cousin's brother's friend is a lawyer and told me it was cool, but now it's not. You know, <laughs> those are not. I, that's not the day that I want to have. This is one of those things about the law that can just make you beat your head against the wall. And it, frust- it frustrates me as well. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's episode, we are joined by attorney at law David Lizabram. David is the founder of David Lizabram and Associates, a firm that provides high quality legal services to entrepreneurs. David is also the host of Products of the Mind podcast, the number one ranked podcast about the intersection of business and creativity. Today, we are bringing David on the show to chat more about copywriting and trademark laws and why entrepreneurs need to know at least a little bit about this subject. We will also discuss on how to protect brands and business assets. And without further ado, let's welcome David to the show. How you doing, David? Doing great. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. So thankful that you got to join us and talk about this topic today because this is something that I'm learning about, how important it is to know trademarks and copyrights because I think it comes back to kick a few entrepreneurs in the butt. So if you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, like you said, I'm an attorney. I'm based in San Diego, California, but I represent clients all over the country and all around the world. Um, because in this day and age, um, business matters as well as intellectual property matters are really international. And so, you know, I have clients who have products and services, maybe not in North Korea, but, you know, most other, <laughs> most other places where you can uh, find products and services these days, uh, they're there. So um, it's, it's tons of fun. And I, I really enjoy working with people who are passionate about what it is they're trying to do. Um, and uh, so I'm very fortunate. And you're an entrepreneur yourself, true. And you have a podcast going on, which is really cool. I just learned that about you. Yeah, well, I, I, I love it, and uh, you know, it's it's been a real rewarding experience. David, I want to kind of dive into the show, and can you give us just like a general outline about the importance of copyright and trademark law so the entrepreneurs listening can understand the importance of knowing about this subject? Yeah, absolutely, and I want to try to avoid using legal jargon, so if you hear me say anything <laughs> you don't understand, just let me know, because that's not really what I'm trying to do here. Um, The the first legal jargon that we need to dispense with is this term intellectual property, because it just sounds very highfalutin. I think it's just for people like me to sound smart. Um, (laughs) But really, I mean, I've been passionate and really interested and fascinated by this topic for, I've been studying it and working in this area for going on 20 years now. Um, And the way that I look at it is this, intellectual property law is a set of laws that were created to allow you to own things that you create just out of your mind. Um, so if you want to own real property, you know, land, buildings, things like that, um, you can't just make that up. You can't invent it. 
most of it's already owned by somebody and you got to go, you know, negotiate to buy it from him or her. Um, same thing with physical property, like assets of your business, you know, whatever that might be, physical things. Um, you need to go out and purchase those and, and they need to be manufactured and so forth. But intellectual property is absolutely the product of your own imagination, um, whether that's for creative purposes, business purposes, anything like that. And, you know, the law, while it's not always perfect, and we can talk about all kinds of different twists and turns, um, at its very base, it is created to reward creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship and to give people the opportunity to own these things that they create. So I think if people start from that place, rather than starting from a place of, oh, this is stuff that I can get into trouble with or that, you know, some weird esoteric thing that I I'm supposed to learn about, but I really don't want to. You know, I think those are not the right way to look at it. I think it should be looked at positively. Like, wow, okay, all I need to do is kind of learn the rules of the road here, and then I will be able to own and benefit from and make use of things that I just dream up and then make them happen in the real world. So that's kind of the high-level, highfalutin uh, approach to it. Um, getting down to the actual different aspects of intellectual property – um, we're going to talk about, I think, copyright and trademark today. Um, there's also patents, which is uh, protection for inventions, um, and trade secrets, which is sort of what it sounds like, things that you don't reveal to others, um, but which are important to your business. And those are things that you know could be maybe the topic of a different conversation. But um, copyright uh, is sort of what it sounds like if you unpack the word. It's the right to prevent others from, among other things, making copies of something that you created. So on a really high level, copyright doesn't protect ideas, concepts, facts. Those things are explicitly not protected by copyright law. Copyright protects the unique individual expression of those ideas, concepts, facts, etc. So it's sort of easy to understand copyright in the terms of something like a creative project, right? So, you know, if you go to uh, the movies – um, there has been, you know, thousands of romantic comedies and at some level they're all kind of the same story, but everyone has its own unique twists and turns. They have their own characters, they have their own settings, dialogue, um, plot, etc. That type of stuff is protected. The concept of, well, I'm going to do a story where a guy and a girl fall in love, that's, you know, nobody can own that. Um, same thing goes with business concepts. Um, so, Content that you create in the course of doing your business is subject to copyright law and in many cases is protected by copyright law. So that might be a podcast that you're creating. Uh, it might be courses. It might be uh, a book that you write, video content, uh, marketing copy on your website. You know, any of these types of things can be protected by copyright law and usually they automatically are as soon as you create them. Now, there's a lot of you know, details and gray area there. And, you know, people could spend an entire lifetime getting into all those details. But, you know, broadly speaking, that's the way that you want to think about copyright from a business context. Um, if your business is in, the, you know, related to content creation, meaning, you know, you're creating the types of things I described, books, video, podcasts, audio, you know, something like that, then, you know, copyright really is going to play a big part in what you're doing. If you're in some other kind of business where you're not really creating content for people to be consumed or the content you create is really just to sell uh, or, you know, educate people about the core elements of your business, you know, then copyright law might not be as big of a deal in the day to day. So it really just kind of depends what 
your sort of subject area is in terms of how much copyright impacts your business. Does that uh, does that seem relatively clear? Seems very clear. Yes. So um, that's kind of the copyright, and we can get into like all kinds of details about that. But I just also you know want to make sure we're defining our terms. So trademark. A lot of people get copyright and trademark confused. They are very different things. Um, a trademark is anything that identifies your business as the source of the goods and services that you provide. So a trademark could include uh, a business name, a brand name, a logo, a slogan or tagline, um, the shape uh, or type of packaging could potentially be a trademark. All these types of things can be trademark. Uh, trademarks. When you walk into an Apple store, you walk into a McDonald's. Those, uh, you know, the 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 physical space has a certain look and feel that is unique to those businesses. Those are, you know, potentially protected by trademark law. So all kinds of things can be trademarks. But for the most part, 99% of the time, when people want to talk about trademark law, they're talking about brand names, business names, logos, and sometimes slogans and taglines. In trademark law, probably the most important thing to know is that before you can even worry about protecting it, registering it, doing all these kinds of things that are important, first you need to make sure that you can own and use this mark. When I say mark, I'm referring to a trademark. Um, so let's say it's uh, the name of a product. You've come up with a new product and you come up with a name for it. Well, okay, great. You know, Before you start going, okay, hey, uh, how much is it going to cost me to register this trademark or anything like that, you need to do your due diligence, do your research to make sure that nobody else has already used it. Because in the U.S. and in many other jurisdictions, um, trademark rights go to whoever the first user is, regardless of whether or not they've actually registered it. Now, there's, again, some, some twists and turns to that, but that's the basic thing. So what that means is that if somebody in your space, you know, a competitive type of business, has already started using either the same name or something similar for similar goods and services, you may be prevented from using it. So, you know, some research is required before you even get to that point of protecting. And then, you know, then once you've kind of cleared it and you've made sure, okay, this name is available, you know, this is something that we can own. Then you get to the point where, okay, do we talk about filing a trademark registration? Do we talk about doing that in the U.S. or in other countries? And what does that look like and how does that process work? So that's kind of the high-level overview of trademarks and copyrights. And uh, now I'm happy to get into any more details that you want to. Yeah, the first question that comes up for me is how far do those laws go internationally? So, for example, if somebody has a trademark in one country and then somebody decides to come up with the same business name, say in Germany or India, what's the boundary there and how does it protect or not protect the business? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. So um, most countries that you're going to want to deal with are, uh, you know, signatories to these international trade treaties. So you hear about these things in the news. We're talking about different trade treaties. We're talking about Brexit and all these things that you know you hear about, and it, sometimes it seems a little obscure. Well, it's the type of thing that drives trademark lawyers like me kind of nuts because <laughs> it really does impact our lives, and the and it really does impact um, you know our clients' businesses. Um, but you know, as a general rule, trademark law for the most part is um, country by country. So if I have a product. Um, 
that I'm selling in the U.S. And, you know, these things get a little blurry because so many things are online now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, let's just say, well, let's just say it's a service, right? Uh, let's say I have a trademark for the name of my law firm, right? So I'm providing those services. Let's say I'm just providing them in the U.S. If somebody else in Germany is using the same name to provide services there and we don't cross over, then there's not really a conflict. Um, and neither of us can necessarily stop the other from doing it. Now, if you're doing something that is products or services that are online and, you know, you're engaging with clients and customers um, in a variety of different countries, then in many cases, the rights in your quote unquote home country will be respected elsewhere. So if you can show, hey, I've already, you know, I've got a registered trademark in the U.S., um, but I've been using it in Germany. And you can see here there's customers in Germany. Here's, you know, some sort of proof. Well, then, you know, you may have rights in Germany as well. Um, But typically it's advisable once you get to that point to start actually filing to protect either in those countries or in, you know, the EU or different sort of groups of countries that have gotten together for trademark protection because, um, you know, the best thing that you can have is an actual registration in the country where you're trying to sort of fight it out. Um, But, yeah, you you in some cases can use – a protection in one country as the basis for protection in another. You kind of have to take it by a case-by-case basis and look at each of these countries where a conflict arises and determine which came first. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the first out of the gate is almost always the, you know, the determining factor in trademark law. So, you know, if I start doing business in the U.S. and then it turns out that my product or my online service is popular in Argentina, and so I'm just getting more and more customers there, and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, hey, uh, you know, sorry, but we've been doing business under this name in Argentina, you know, for 10 years before you were, Mm -hmm. well, I might just be out of luck um, because, you know, I didn't do my due diligence and, uh, you know, so if you're starting to see that your product or service is getting traction in a different country, mm-hmm. um, it's probably worth you know making sure that there's no conflicts and doing that that research as soon as you can, because sometimes if a conflict is discovered, it's not the end of the world. So you know, let's say um, you know I'm starting to get some traction in Argentina with this product, and I look and I'm like, well, there is actually kind of a potential conflict. Well, maybe that other company in Argentina is willing to negotiate. You know, I've got some traction. I've got maybe some money coming in. Um, you, you know, they may be a small company. They may be not really directly competing with me because, you know, it's it's a slightly different channel of business. So we're not going to really overlap. You know, then it becomes essentially a business negotiation. And, you know, it can go sideways just like anything else. But a lot of times there is a way, you know, if you're working with a lawyer who really knows how to do these things and who understands the scope and is potentially working with counsel in that country as well, um, you know, there, there, there can be a lot of times be ways to resolve it be- before it becomes a real legal fight. That's the last thing that I ever want my clients to get in. <laughs> fight that's that's never a good day is there a point david where you recommend businesses start to look into trademarking an income level a revenue level or years in business what's your recommendation yeah i mean it it really just depends on all the different factors you described so you know sometimes people do come to me and they'll say hey um you know, I'm starting this podcast, uh, let's just say, um, I represent a lot of podcasters, so that's one of the things, but you know, let's say somebody says I'm starting this podcast and I want to register a trademark, you know, a lot of times I'll be talking to them and, and, 
I'll almost try to talk them out of it a little bit. Um, I mean, I'll do it if it's the right fit. But first, I really want to do, you know, make sure that it is right. Because, um, you know, you don't have to, you know, filing a trademark application is uh, an investment, like any other investment in your business. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you might not necessarily need all that protection when you're just starting out. If you might get three episodes into the podcast and then say, the heck with this. You know, it's a lot of work having a podcast. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This isn't what I'm going to spend my time on. So, you know, why waste the money? So, um you know, whereas if, uh, you know, you're an established business and, you know, you know, okay, this is going to be part of my marketing plan and it's going to be a podcast and here's how we're going to do it and we're investing a lot of money into it and so forth. Okay, then, you know, maybe it is worth protecting. So every situation is going to be really different. I would say, um, you know, when you're starting out, especially if, you know, capital is limited, um, to definitely start out by doing that due diligence to make sure that there's nobody else using the same name or a similar name. You can hire a lawyer to do that, or in some cases, you can do it yourself. It just kind of depends. Um, but you know, invest some time, and if you can, some money in that, because the last thing you want is to launch your business. You, know, you put so much time and effort and money into it, and you're starting to get traction, and then all of a sudden you find out, whoops, I got to change my name, because unbeknownst to me, there's a conflict, mm-hmm. and you know, I... I'm innocent of uh, a bad intent, but uh, nonetheless, there's a legal problem and I, you know, I have to change my name. That's not something that anybody wants to have to do. So I would say start with that side first. If you absolutely can only do that, do that research and make sure, okay, at least it's clear. Then, you know, if you need to, you can launch and you can start getting some traction because really your trademark rights accrue by using the name in most countries not every country is the same but in most countries you know accrue by using that trademark um and and customers recognizing it consumers people in whatever business um recognizing that this is has goodwill associated with it um and then you know when the time is right then you know you can say okay this is really worth protecting i've built up this asset it's starting to go somewhere Let's uh, let's pull the trigger and file the trademark application. Now that's not always the case. Many many times clients will file before they launch, um, and that's because they you know they have the capital to do it, or they know they're going to be spending a lot of money on this product, so they want to make absolutely sure that they have all the protection they could possibly get. So again, every circumstance is different, but I don't push people to to you know file right away. That's not always the right answer for everybody. Now, I noticed that you handle entertainment and social media law, and social media is big for a lot of our listeners. And so I'm wondering if you could chat a little bit about social media law and what you can do and what you can't do. Sure. Um, You know, social media law, at least when I went to law school in the, you know, 1900s, um, was not a subject that we talked about. And it's not, you know, to the best of my knowledge, it's not something where there's, you know, textbooks, social media law, like criminal law or something like that. Um, You know, it's kind of a, a mix of different things all put together. I would say the most common issues that I see on social media, you know, I, you know, when I'm looking at Instagram or whatever, just as a person, not as a lawyer, but I still have, you know, those skills is, um, number one is people using content that they don't have the right to. That is, uh, something I see all the time and is a real potential problem for a business. So when I say that, you know, we're getting back to talking about copyright. So the thing that I see people, you know, really need, need to watch out for is using content that they don't own as part of their social media marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm talking about 
that I'm talking about memes. I'm talking about images. I'm talking about, uh, you know, all kinds of things that you didn't create. I see businesses use, doing this all the time, and I'm like, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get a cease and desist letter. You're going to get a demand for payment. Um, and I think people think, well, it's on the Internet. It's free. Everybody else is using it. I looked it up in Google Images. I, you know, whatever. Um, I really advise businesses not to do that. Don't use content that you don't own. Don't use images that you don't own. Just because it's out there on the internet does not mean that you have the right to use it. I can't, that sounds like a real spoil sport, <laughs> but I can't make that any more clear. Um, because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people say, oh, well, I just, you know, reposted, I mean, you know, I, I just uh, took this image that everybody else was using from Game of Thrones and I posted it to promote my product or whatever. And, you know, I didn't know it was a problem, and now I'm getting this letter where I have to pay some money or I have to do this, that, and the other, and it's not a happy day. And it happens all the time, and a lot of times people are innocent. Like, they don't, you know, innocent in the sense that they're not intending to infringe on anybody's intellectual property. They're just playing the game of the Internet like everybody else. But um, you only need to get one of those demands once and have to write a check once to learn the lesson. And I would rather have your listeners <laughs> learn the lesson right now and just say, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So whether it's images, music, video, unless you own it or you have a license for it, uh, you can't use it online. Um, and the other thing I see is people um, doing what amounts to advertisements online without labeling them as advertisements. Um, people get in trouble for this all the time in the U S particularly there are specific laws against this. I know there are in Europe as well. Um, and so you need to learn what those rules are. Um, and if you're using, let's say you're working with influencers and you know, you want to have, uh, somebody who's got a lot of Instagram followers, uh, wear your, you know, item of apparel or promote your, you know, nutritional product or whatever it is. Um, there are rules that need to be followed about, making sure that it is communicated that it's an advertisement. And if you don't do that, the fines can be really, really substantial. And again, a lot of people just don't know. You know, they're not saying, screw it, I'm going to break the law. They're just, you know, out there doing business. And then, boom, they get hit with something that really could bankrupt them, cripple their business, be a serious problem. So it's much cheaper to know the rules and to try to follow them as best you can than to just – you know, plow forward and say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm cool. I break things. I'm the next Steve Jobs. And, uh, <laughs> it's cool to have that attitude until you come crying into me with this letter that says I have to pay this many thousands of dollars. Uh, all of a sudden, you're not so cool anymore. So <laughs> those, are the, those are the two biggest red flags I see in the social media world. One thing that I'd like to ask you is how far can one company go, you know, say there's a trademark conflict of interest or copywriting conflict of interest, how far really can it, one company go to take or can they take their whole entire business? Can they just wipe one entrepreneur out because of um, a name that's similar or copywriting that's similar? Yeah. So in, in copyright law, um, and again, you know, I'm based in the U.S., so I'm most familiar with the law in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, in copyright law, the copyright statute, like the actual law that was passed by Congress and signed by the president in the 1970s and still applies, states that you can be fined up to $150,000 for each copyright infringement. Wow. Um, okay. And, and there can be additional damages. So, you know, do are people getting having to write checks every day for $150,000? No. Um, but, you know. Even a small fraction of that can destroy 
um, you know, a new startup, you know, solo or entrepreneurial type of business. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is, we're talking about real money here. Um, for trademarks, most of the time, if you're a small business, a startup, a solo person, you know, a two person operation, things like that, most of the time there's not monetary damages associated unless you're really, really, you know, going out of your way to be a bad actor and just not follow the rules. But what usually ends up happening is you get a cease and desist letter and they'll say, uh, you know, dear Matt, your, uh, you know, trademark is infringing on our mark. Here's the facts, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times that just means that you have to change the name of your business, change the name of your product, whatever. And, you know, that alone can be enough to cause a business to come to an end. Because if you've put everything you have into, you know, the SEO associated with this brand name and buying all the domain names and, you know, building up the products and in some cases having the products manufactured with this name on it and all these other things. And then all of a sudden it's like you have 10 days to change. Well, that might mean that you're going back to your day job. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, just let's be real about it. So it is so much less painful and less expensive to do the work beforehand and figure it out and make sure you're doing the right thing than to have to pivot and change your name, you know, all of a sudden. So uh, now there can be monetary damages in trademark claims, but usually you have to be, you know, I mean, first of all, if you're, you know, a small business person, you don't have any assets and you're 22, well, you know, they might not sue you because they don't have anything, you know, they're not going to get any money out of you. But you know, if your business has grown and you're, you know, established and you're getting some traction and you've got some assets, well, then you're more of a target. And, you know, you, you could run the risk of having to pay monetary damages. So, yeah, I mean, it's not it, I mean, it. you can do what you want. I don't tell people what to do. I just advise them of the risks. <laughs> and let them, I mean, that's the way that it works. And, uh, you know, but I can tell you that I hate having to have those conversations. I like the conversations where somebody's like, I got a great idea. Let's research this name. Okay, it's available. Let's secure it. Let's go on. And then six months later, I hear like, hey, the product, you know, launched and it's killing it and we're doing great. Now we're going to launch another product. We want to work with you again. That's the conversation I want to have. Not, <laughs> uh, I got this letter. Uh, <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, my cousin's brother's friend is a lawyer and told me it was cool, but now it's not. You know, <laughs> those are not. I, that's not the day that I want to have. Right. That makes sense. The reason I reached out to David was because in my business's name, I have the word entrepreneur. And I didn't know this until, I guess it was a few months back when I realized that the word entrepreneur is trademarked by Entrepreneur Magazine, which I think everybody knows and is a massive corporation. And that they've actually had lawsuits or went after people that use the word entrepreneur in their business name. And so I'm in year three of the entrepreneur house and I hear this and at first, you know, I didn't think too much of it, you know, to be in a small business, but then as things started to grow, you know, the thought of that just kept coming up. And then every once in a while, somebody would mention, you might look into that because I heard of somebody having the entrepreneur name in the Netherlands and they had to actually change their name. And so that's why I reached out to David to kind of get some insight on what's the best thing to do. And I know you have some experience in this too. The word entrepreneur is used in, it's got to be hundreds of businesses, definitely hundreds of businesses around the world, probably thousands. And it's a very common name. However, we have this bit of a threat behind us lurking, just wondering, you know, 
is it going to be our day? If are we going to get big enough? If we trademark, will the red flags go up for the attorneys at Entrepreneur Magazine? You know, when I mentioned this to a lot of people, their jaws drop that anybody could actually trademark the word entrepreneur. Period. And so I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on businesses out there that have the word entrepreneur, because I guarantee there's some that are listening, and what the risks are for us. Well, I mean, I'm not going to give you specific legal advice, <laughs> although you're a client, uh, but I'm not going to give it to you in the form of a podcast because that's not the right forum. Yeah. But I can talk about this generally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is this is one of those things about the law that can just make you beat your head against the wall. And it frust- <laughs> it frustrates me as well. Um, but that's just kind of how it is. So many years ago, Entrepreneur Magazine was able to register, uh, I believe, several trademarks in the U.S. and, and I believe elsewhere um, involving the word entrepreneur. So that does not mean – this is a common misconception. I want to make sure that your listeners are really clear about this. When somebody has a trademark uh, for a word – that doesn't mean they own that word. That is absolutely not the case. That doesn't mean they can control who says that word, who writes that word, who uses that word, etc. That is not the case. It only means that they can control who uses that word in a competitive fashion um, as a brand name, you know, as a logo, as a slogan, something like that, or part of. Um, so, you know, you and I can say, hey, uh, you know, we're both entrepreneurs and we can publish a, you know, book about it or whatever, you know, that's all fine. The word is just a word in the dictionary that anybody can use. Um, Entrepreneur Magazine and their organization uh, claims the right to use it as part of a brand name, as part of a trademark. They have the registration. Now, having a trademark registration does not mean that, you know, it's carved in stone uh, that this is valid. It simply means that the United States Trademark Office or whatever other country issued a registration. You know, it went through whatever scrutiny they provide and they issued the registration. But it's not, you know, the Constitution. It's not, uh, you know, something that's immutable. It can be challenged and a court could potentially throw that out and say that's not valid. I think they, you know, at some point in the past were able to get this registration one way or the other. And then they've just used that uh sort of legal claim to browbeat others into avoiding using that as part of a, you know, brand name. Um, obviously that word has crept more and more into the language that happens. That's how humans operate and it's fine. Um, you know, maybe entrepreneur magazine could have been more aggressive at some point in just defining the word, um, you know, much like Xerox or Kleenex, you know, they, they, you know, make it clear that that is a brand name and it's not just the generic term for a category of goods or something. Um, you know, but one way or the other, it, it's just a word that everybody uses. And, you know, maybe there was nothing they could have done about it. That's just how it happened. Uh, if somebody's business or service is for entrepreneurs, I think, you know, from a reasonable policy basis, I think that name should be free for anybody to use. The same way if you're opening a pizza restaurant, you should be able to use the word pizza. Um, you know, it would be unreasonable for somebody to say, no, I own the word pizza or hamburger. Right. It just, you know, it's just a generic term. Um, what seems to have happened is that nobody has actually wanted to fight them, which I understand. Entrepreneur Magazine is a successful product and they have a lot of money, uh, you know, and good for them. I mean, it's not that they don't do good work and they're, you know, the journalism and so forth isn't good. Uh, in the, in this particular case, I think that, uh, you know, they've managed to stake out a position where nobody actually wants to pick the fight. I think, you know, if I had a client 
who came along and said, I don't care how much it costs, I'm going to fight Entrepreneur Magazine, I bet they would back down and settle because I don't think they actually want a court to look at this and scrutinize it. I think they just want to, you know, sort of puff out their chest and try to defend their territory as best they can, which, you know, might be a somewhat reasonable business practice. And, um, you know, but there's nothing I can do about that right now. You know, I can't, you know, if a client comes to me and says, hey, I want to be, you know, entrepreneur XYZ, you know, I can't make this problem go away. There's nothing you can do to, you know, wave this away. You can't, you know, put a disclaimer up that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Adding other words to the name doesn't really solve the problem. You know, the issue is still there. Um, so people need to make the choice in the real world. You know, the practical answer is that people need to make the choice, either avoid using the word entrepreneur as part of your branding, um, or, you know, be willing to either change your name if they come after you or, you know, pick a fight with them and see how far it goes. But, you know, uh, none of those are necessarily good options, (laughs) but when I'm talking to people, I have to, you know, I can't just tell them what they want to hear. I got to be real. Now, why do you think Entrepreneur Magazine's had more of an aggressive stance on this? Because... Apple is a generic term, right? But to my knowledge, you don't see them suing tomsapples.com because right. they, so, <laughs> they use... Yeah, you know. no. Well, because Apple is a generic term for apples, Apple products, applesauce, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody can use it. Um, Apple's trademark rights for that uh, brand name extend to, you know computers, cell phones, electronic products, things, you know, re- you know, related accessories and software and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, start a computer company called, you know, Apple XYZ Computers. Uh, you can't create a cell phone um, and call it, you know, Apple whatever phone mm-hmm. uh, because Apple has a trademark, but they do not, their trademark rights only extend in the areas where they do business. Uh, now, Apple does a business in a lot of different areas. They have music products. They have, you know, entertainment, etc. So it's pretty wide, but they do not make food. You don't go to the Apple store to get your groceries. Right. You know, it, that's just not what they do. So, you know, there's they never could have claimed that they are the exclusive uh, party who can use the word Apple for, you know, food-related products. Um, entrepreneur, you know, I think what happened was when they launched and when they, you know, got their trademark protection, that the name wasn't as, you know, that term, I think, and I'm, maybe I'm getting the timeline wrong, but I think that that term existed in the, you know, in the dictionary, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as commonly used. I mean, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, you know, to my recollection, I'm 40, but, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't hear the word entrepreneur as much as, you know, as much as you hear it today. You right. hear it every day, all the time now. Um, so, you know, it just has become more popular. And maybe some of that popularity is because of Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, so they may be a victim of their own success in some sense, but that's just the way language works. David, I think we're going to have to wrap up the show there. If the listeners want to reach out to you, where's the best place they can find you at? Well, my uh, my podcast and my website where I have tons of free blog posts and podcasts and all kinds of other information. Uh, you can get that at productsofthemind.net. And um, I also uh, have a free ebook that I'll offer to your listeners. It's called Podcast Law. So if any of your listeners are interested in podcasts uh, or are podcasters themselves, um, it's like a pretty substantial ebook that goes through a lot of the things we talked about today. That can be found at pro- podcastlawguide.com. And it all kind of directs to my website one way or the other so uh yeah i i always like uh hearing from people who heard me on podcasts and uh 
you know, seeing what I can do to, to keep improving the, uh, the state of information and education for entrepreneurs because, you know, you can tell I really care about this stuff. I can't work with everybody who <laughs> is in the business world. I can only work with a few, you know, select number of clients, but I want to make sure that everybody has the education they need to go forth and do what they want to do in the business world. Listeners, I recommend checking out David's website if you do have any more questions about trademark or copyright or social media or business law. David, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show and thank you for spending your time with us today and sharing this wealth of information. I think and I really hope it does help a lot of entrepreneurs out there. So thank you very much, my friend. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.